Got your Bible if you want to turn to Daniel 7. And I've got to say, I think we're thinking tonight about who is in control. And this is so relevant for the days that we are living in when there's so much that would concern us from what we see that's happening in Eastern Europe. This vision comes at the beginning of the reign of Belshazzar. It says there in verse 1, Belshazzar is the one with the writing on the wall. And so in the first year of his reign, uh, this dream comes to Daniel. And this would have been a time of uncertainty. A new king coming to power would have been such a time uncertain, particularly when Belshazzar was not a good king. And so God's people, who had been in exile by this stage for nearly 70 years, they needed encouragement. They needed to find hope. And that's the purpose of this chapter, that in an uncertain world, we would find the hope that we need. Now, as we look at it, we see, first of all, the four beasts in verses 1 to 8. There is the lion with the eagle's wings. There's the bear, the leopard with the wings. There's the beast, the iron teeth, and from which comes the little horn. Now, there have been two main views or interpretations about what these four beasts represent. The first view, which I think is the most realistic one, which is that the lion with the eagle's wings was Babylon, and that is a symbol of Babylon in ancient times. The bear was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians together. The leopard with the wings was Greece. The beast with the iron teeth was Rome. And then the little horn, that would be either the, a persecuting Caesar, maybe like Nero, uh, the Protestant reformers saw the little horn to represent the papacy, or is it the Antichrist who comes at the end of time? We'll come back to that in a moment. Or. The second view uh, is that the lion with eagle's wings again is Babylon, the bear is the Medes, the leopard with the wings are the Persians, and the fourth beast is Greece and not Rome. And the little horn then would be this character we've spoken about before in Tychus, Epiphanes, this Greek leader who about 200 years before Jesus invaded Jerusalem and dealt so horrendously with the people of God there at the time. Now, view one is the most popular because it ties in with the vision in Daniel 2. Remember the vision of the statue, the gold head, the silver chest, and that ties in with the four kingdoms represented there. View two is popular because the little horn in Daniel 8, the next chapter we'll be looking at, is, does clearly refer to Antiochus Epiphanes, and that's why some people go for the second view. The good news is that if we're going to benefit from this vision, this chapter, we don't need to know which it is. We don't have to work this all out. Daniel and his contemporaries, to whom this dream was given, they didn't know who all these future kings and kingdoms would be, and this was given to them for their benefit at this time. It was given to encourage them at this time. So we don't have to have it all worked out. In apocalyptic writings, which the second half of the book of Daniel is and the book of Revelation is, the key thing is, as we've said when we're studying Revelation, is that we receive principles of history. We receive guidance about what is going on what governs the world in the past, in the present, and the future. It's not to teach us about every detail and for us to try and work out exactly who this is or that is. It's to give us an overview of what is happening in the world around. And remember, I said before that I loved the Beano growing up. 
It was a picture book, and this is one of the picture books of the Bible. They give us these great pictures to teach us what is happening in the world around us and to encourage us in the midst of difficult days. Now, as you look at the beast coming out of the great sea in verse 2, the sea in the Bible represents chaos and evil. It was uncontrollable. And so, out of a world of chaos and evil, these leaders would come, these evil powers would come to wreak havoc. But it speaks about the four winds of heaven having stirred them up. And that is maybe a hint that, just let's realize this, these creatures come up, but they do not have absolute control. There is another hand who is behind and who is controlling and limiting what they will do. Now, let's look at these beasts in turn just to get a wee bit more, learn a wee bit more about them. First of all, the first beast, the lion with the eagle's wings in verse 4. The wings being plucked off it points to it becoming more limited. A lion that can fly around is certainly more dangerous than one that has to stick to the ground. And sometimes people ask, where is God when all this evil has happened? Why does God not restrain evil? Well, the answer is God is constantly restraining evil. This kingdom of Babylon, God restrained it from being as bad as it could be. And in the world around us, God is constantly doing that. Now, when the wings were taken away and it began to stand like a man and it received the, the mind of a man, if this is Babylon, it probably points to the time when Nebuchadnezzar was humble before the Lord. You remember, he was driven away to live with the beast. Then he came to his senses, and he acknowledged the true God. And it's speaking about how God was transforming him, making him to change from being a beast to becoming real humanity. The second beast, the bear, in verse 5, it being raised up on one side, some think, well, that could represent how the, the Medes and the Persians weren't totally equal, and one was more powerful than the other. The devouring of the three ribs, uh, some people have had a bit of fun uh, to try and work out what the three ribs represent. If you have an idea what the three ribs uh, represent, please don't email me. I don't really want to know, because I don't think we're meant to work that out. The point here is that this burr represents a kingdom that is evil and so destructive. It is devouring. This is what sin does to mankind. It creates kingdoms that ruin people. The third beast, the leopard with the bird's wings. Leopards are known for the speed, and this does seem to point to the rise of the Greek empire, which under Alexander the Great, it's how quickly it arose was so astonishing. By the age of 30, Alexander had conquered the, the Persian Empire, he had conquered the Egyptian Empire, he had broken into India. It really was amazing how quickly he arose to power. And this is one of the things that we need to understand, that evil can move quickly, it can advance quickly. Things, as we see it, can change so quickly. And then the fourth beast, this dreadful beast with the iron teeth. It's described there as the, the terrifying, dreadful, 
an exceedingly strong beast in those verses. It appears to have so much more destructive power compared to the other ones. It was evil on a different level. The ten horns, horns speak of strength. It had great strength and power. The little horn who plucks up the three other horns, it had the eyes of man and spoke of great things, which speaks about how it was proud, it was arrogant, it was full of great boasts. And isn't that what evil does? It gets so full of itself, it's so lifted up. It thinks that it can do whatever it pleases. Now, these four beasts, what they emphasize to us is the reality and the character of evil in the world around us. The character of evil in the world in the past, the character of evil in the world today. Evil which opposes God, which opposes His rule. And we are reminded that in this world, we fight a battle against evil. And remember what Paul says, we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And we need to remember that the real enemy in Europe today is not Putin. The real enemy is the one who's behind him, who is pulling the strings, and that's the devil himself. And there's a spiritual battle going on here. That's why we need to continue to pray, to pray, and to pray. So the four beasts just bring home to us that evil is something that's so dreadful. We can lose sight of this, and even in our own lives, we need to be reminded of this. Evil is not a problem just out there. Evil is a problem in here, in our own hearts. There's no such thing as good evil. There's no such thing as good sin. And we must fear sin. We must fear all that is evil. We must flee from it and not let it enslave us and find the hope that can be found in Jesus. So there we have the four beasts in verses 1 to 8. But then we see the true ruler in verses 9 to 14. And first of all, we are introduced here in verses 9 and 10 to the Ancient of Days. Let's look at those verses together. Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were placed. Thrones speak of rule, authority, power. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's God. Why is he described as the Ancient of Days? The point being made is that these beasts, these evil rulers in the world, they're there for such a short time. But the one who's on the throne here is the one who is eternal, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. These evil rulers will have their day, but this is the God of eternity who is showing himself to be on the throne. It says, "'His clothing was white as snow,' and the hair of his head like pure wool. The beast that we've been thinking about speaks of such darkness, such evil that comes into humanity. But what we see here in God is the exact opposite. We see whiteness, we see purity, we see perfection. The God who is perfect in all of his ways, the God who could be trusted fully because he is the very opposite to that which is evil. It says, his throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. 
And it says at the end of that verse 10, the courts sat in judgment and the books were opened. This God, this ancient of days, is the God of judgment. He is the God who will bring down his fire upon evil in the appropriate time. He is the God who will judge all sin. He is the God who will judge all wickedness. He is the God who is a consuming fire. He's not a God who will wink at sin. He's not a God who will see evil going on in the world and ignore it. He is a God who in his time will deal with justice upon such evil. But look what happens in the middle of verse 10. Look what happens in the middle of this world of evil where the beasts are so active. A thousand thousand served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him, speaking about the ancient of death. That in the midst of such evil, the church of God is being built. It will be that great multitude in heaven that no one can number. His people are being drawn in, people who turn away from sin, people who turn away from wickedness, people who embrace the true God. That's where hope is to be found. It goes on, and the second thing we see here about the true ruler is the defeat of the beasts in verses 11 and 12. And it just says there about how, indeed, the, the final beast is, is destroyed, and the power is taken away from the the previous three beasts. Now, there's not a great description about this. It's so matter-of-fact. It's as if it's saying, this is no trouble to the ancient of days. This is not a, a battle uh, between equals or among those who are anywhere near equal. When he decides it, to put evil down, evil can do nothing to resist because his power, his majesty, his glory is on a totally different level. And so wicked rulers will have their day. But wicked rulers, if they do not repent of their sin, will all come into judgment. Whether it be Nero, whether it be Hitler, whether it be Saddam Hussein, whether it be Putin, all evil dictators will face the judgment of God, as will every sinful person whose sin is not covered. But then we're introduced to the Son of Man in verses 13 and 14. Look at verse 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Now, what is this talking about? This is talking about Jesus, of course, who his favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. And it's speaking about how after Jesus died, then he rose from the grave, and then after 40 days, where did he go? He ascended to heaven. He went to the Ancient of Days. Now, why did he go to heaven at that point? Look there at verse 14. And to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. Again, there's a contrast to these beasts. Their kingdoms will pass away. Their kingdoms will be destroyed. 
they will have their day, but it will only be a day. Whereas Christ, his kingdom, will be eternal. One of the interesting things is the way it's it's pictured here in verse 13. It says, there came one like a son of man. In the beasts, in those evil rulers, them being pictured at basis is describing how mankind has become subhuman, less than the perfect humanity that was made in Genesis 1. But what we see in Jesus, the true Son of Man, the true man, the true human, is perfect humanity being restored. Now, remember in Genesis 1 and verse 28 that when Adam was made, he was given dominion over the world to rule over the world. But that was totally messed up because of sin. And what do we see here? In Jesus, the Son of Man, that rule of this world is being perfectly restored. Now, at the moment, Jesus is a ruler in heaven. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But he is a contested ruler. His rule is not accepted by all. It's a wee bit like the, the governing authorities in Kiev at this time. The Ukrainian authorities, they are the rulers, but it's being contested. There's a battle going on. And that's exactly a picture of the spiritual battle. Jesus is the King of kings. Jesus is on the throne, but it's being contested. But the time is coming. The time is coming when that rule will be contested no more. And this brings us on to our final point, which is Daniel's questioning in verses 15 to 28. Look at verse 15 there. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Here was stuff to encourage him, but he's, it's too much for him. He's just in a state of shock. Verse 16, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Now, to help Daniel in his questing, there are two truths that are presented here in this last section. We see, first of all, the rule of the saints. Look there at verse 18, what it says. It speaks about the four beasts that come and then go. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Do you notice how that is repeated? So, these evil rulers which want to build a kingdom which will last forever, it doesn't work. But those who are saints, those who are holy ones, those who have come to embrace the Son of Man, they will be part of a kingdom which will be forever, forever, and ever. Look what it says there in verse 22. It speaks about the horn who makes war with the saints. And it says in verse 22, until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. 
Now, the point here is that, indeed, the saints will rule with Christ. They will have the kingdom. They will share in the reign of Jesus. Now, remember what we talked about in Genesis 1 and 28, how to Adam was given dominion over this world, but it was messed up because of sin. In the world to come, because of the victory of the Son of Man, those who belong in Him will reign with Him in a world which is now a perfect world of perfect order, where no evil comes to mess it up. It will be a world of absolute peace and harmony. Can you imagine such a world? I can't imagine it. It's beyond what we can grasp. But that's our destiny when we belong to Christ. We will rule, we will reign with Him forever and ever. But we're not there yet. The final point, which is the striving of the little horn. Remember, the fourth beast had ten horns, and then this wee horn comes up out of it. Look what it says in verse 25 about this little horn. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a times. Speaking about they will change the times and the law. In the Soviet Union, they tried to change it from a seven-day to a ten-day week. didn't work. In North Korea, the calendar has been changed. I think it's maybe only like the year 150 in North Korea now. Speaking of what evil seeks to do, even to change time. But the crucial thing here is what they do to the saints. Look, they wear out the saints of the Most High. How have you felt this week watching the news about Ukraine? Isn't it wearisome? Constantly focusing on that will wear us out. Evil seeks to wear out the people of God. And it even speaks of the people of God being given into the hand of evil for time, times, and half a time. Now, the significance of that is there's a period of time set by God when evil will have sway even over the people of God, will be persecuting them, causing them to suffer. But it's only for a time. Look at verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. This little horn represents the Antichrist this figure at the end of time who will come to oppose the people of God and to lead the advance of evil. And for a period of time, he will bring down suffering on the people of God. But it's only for a time. The court will sit, his dominion will be taken away. Look at verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is it. This is the time when the rule of Jesus will be contested no more. This will be the time when all his enemies will be put under his feet as a footstool. This will be the time when sin and evil will no longer be in the presence 
of the people of God. All that we will experience in the new heavens and new earth with the perfect rule of Christ will be peace, righteousness, joy, as we worship our great God perfectly for all of eternity. It's a real world. It's not some sort of phantom existence. Our bodies will be raised from the dead on the last day to be joined to our souls. Glorified bodies. Why will we need these glorified bodies? Because these old bodies we have will not cope with the pleasures and the joys that's in the world to come. In the presence of the Lord forever. Does that not give you hope? Does that not give you encouragement? Does that not give you courage to take your stand for Jesus this week? to oppose the evil that's out there and oppose the evil that's in your heart, to be a child of God who's living faithfully for him. But, and this is a big but, we have to be absolutely certain that we will share in this. We have to be certain that we're on the side of righteousness, that we've been born again, that we've been saved by Christ, that we have turned away from our sin. You cannot be a person headed for such glory in the presence of Christ and still be a person who holds on to sin and evil in your own life. May we turn from that. May we embrace Jesus and his salvation. And may we follow him faithfully with his grace and his strength. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, it's so wonderful to know that although evil is so prevalent in this world, and evil has its day, it's only for a time determined by you, but the rule and the reign of Christ will be forever. And what an amazing thought, Father, that we will reign with him if we belong to him, that we will reign in this world to come, which will be a world of perfect harmony and peace. Oh, Father, give us the grace to know that we're part of this, to trust in Jesus, to repent of our sin. And Father, I just pray that such hope which is spoken of here would be a hope that is real in the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia at this time. Oh, Father, grant that indeed, that they will understand why those beasts are there for a time. The rule of Christ is is forever and give them the grace to persevere. In Jesus' name, amen.